It's the When Fishing Podcast. Applying techniques. Then I put the sea rigs on the A rig. Fresh ideas. They can't all be good ones. Talking stories. <laughs> reports. Observation. Probably too close. All to make you and I better fishermen. This is the first time we've really talked like outside of texting and like um i've known you and shouting boat to boat across and the shouting boat to boat yeah just come like totally unable to hear you <laughs> <laughs> over the radio or whatever but uh i've known about you or i've watched you through like basically sc surf fishing was where i first saw yeah, a lot of people in like socal and all these things and just like kind of watching like oh that person's seems to know what they're doing that person seems to know what they're doing that guy seems like a fucking prick that guy's pretty cool like so it's i mean it's too bad that that website went down because that was pretty that's a pretty solid group and until uh the one-eared chef uh tore it down but uh uh and then bloody decks dude i can't handle bloody decks anymore it's just like just like the bickering constantly and then i've gotten a couple passive aggressive remarks now and i'm like what do i do like like i'm like I walk on fucking eggshells for everybody because I know everybody's just going to get upset about anything. And, like, I'm passing along tips, passing along reports, and it's like, like, yeah, whatever, dude. So Yeah, I've, I've tried, you know, helping people out on there, and I'll give them yesterday's info because that's all you can give. Yeah. You, know, you can't predict tomorrow. And, right. you know, earlier this season, the yellowtail were right there on the beach. Yeah. They were in 20 feet of water, and I told one of the guys, and he spent the whole day trolling up and down the beach and came at me later and was like, you gave me false info and stuff. And I was like, <laughs> I was like, dude, here's pictures. Like here's, there's a 35 pound yellow tail and look how close the beach is. Um, <clears throat> yeah, I don't know. Like, there's just people out there and they're also, I think the small, the small craft thing really gets under people's skin because they have 80, 80,000 to a million dollar boats. Yeah. And they're going out there and they're burning all this fuel and they see these guys, which we're out there on the water a lot. We strike out a lot. Yeah. But uh, we're catching big fish. Right. I'm catching 80 to 115 pound bluefin. Right. Um, I've gotten swordfish over 200 pounds. Right. Thresher sharks. I mean, we're right on the beach catching threshers, but not right. a lot of people know how to fish them. Right. And, you know, they'll run out to the 209 or something and fish threshers. And like, that's not where you want to go. Yeah. You literally want to be in 30 feet of water. Yeah. Um, and I think it just gets under people's skin because they see somebody being successful after they've invested so much. Yeah, that makes sense. That's that's really the only thing I can I can think of on about that. But uh, yeah, then there's just the whole bloody bloody deck started out. It was cutthroat. Yeah, like, no, people were just at each other's throats all the time. You know, you said the BD salute, the middle finger. Right. Uh, if you weren't talking shit to somebody, you know, like obviously you didn't like them. So yeah. if you didn't acknowledge them, you didn't like them. That's funny. Yeah. No, my, uh, I mean, like I was like watching, like my dad joined SC surf fishing in 2005. Mm -hmm. So I was like 10 years old and like watching the forums. And that was honestly, I realized that was my first taste of like the, like social media instant gratification thing where I was like, I was constantly like refreshing my dad's reports, seeing like, like who would reply, especially yeah. if I caught a fish and there's a picture of me or something and people would be like, good on the kid catching a fish. And I'd be like, hell yeah. <laughs> like, yeah the sc surf fishing that was that was a good group yeah they were like they were pretty polite and so like uh, i didn't 
I joined uh, Bloody Decks in 2012, so I was like 17, I guess, and like, and I, at that point, it cleaned up a decent amount, mm -hmm. and like, I still wasn't on it that much because I didn't have a boat. There was no real reason to, but I wanted to see what was what was up over there, and it was like, yeah, this is definitely like even even still, it was like less polite than like SC surf fishing, and then, um, and now I'm I'm pretty comfortable, you know, like prehistoric soul is very small but very like. I like everybody on there and everybody's mm -hmm. nice and we all, you know, it's just like half a dozen dudes, but it's just like, like you trust them and they're, yeah. <laughs> they're not going to say anything fucking ridiculous. And it's like, yeah, I mean like, you know, for the most part, if I'm going to report something then I'm going to, uh, on bloody decks and everybody's going to say like, you know, pat on the back or whatever, but even still you, you try and help somebody in like another thing and they'll go, you know, like, what do you know? Or what the fuck? Like, what the fuck is wrong with you? It's like, what the, what? what? Okay. All right, so yeah, I yeah. got last year and, when I started posting <laughs> from the Cabot, I was treated yeah. like I was a brand new angler. No, that's because people didn't like. Obviously, they don't know me personally. I've been was, fishing since I was two. It was funny watching watching you on there because you're like like you came off as just like toxically positive, where you're just like <laughs> you're just like oh yeah, there's striped marlin like right off of La Jolla. It's like well, there are quite often or whatever you know. There's there's all these like little like yeah, pelagic right off like pelagic's right off Oceanside right now and like start of June or whatever and like nobody believes you and it's like it's like why not? It's like you know water's warm enough and they just like refuse to like accept yeah. certain things and it's like you know like like I believe you because I know you're on the water like like a lot and. uh yeah, it's just, so it's just funny, it's funny watching you, like, post things where, like, you're giving, you're giving, like, pretty solid information that everybody should want to know, and they just go, like, like, I do not believe you, that is bullshit, and it's like, I trust you. Yeah. <laughs> like, I, you know I what? remember like, that, I was, uh, I was off La Jolla, and it was, I think it was June, um, it was right after the Bluefin fiasco, so it was actually early July, Yeah. Uh, and I was trolling up and down from from Oceanside down to La Jolla and I cut out and I, I hit the canyon there in La Jolla and I cut out towards 178 um, just to check out that water out there and I saw you know masses amount of mahi they were all chickens they were like three to five pounds but they were they were foaming like tuna yeah so I you know gunned it over there and there's birds diving and stuff and it was just it was mahi everywhere probably like 500 mahi in just this one little you know spot of water and the way they moved was incredible. Like if you didn't know any better, you'd think it was a whale head coming out of the water because they were all piling on top of each other, yeah, chasing the tiny microbait, right? Um, and then they would disperse, and you could see like it was a big school of mahi, yeah. And then on the outside of those, there was a striped marlin, yeah, and it was chasing the mahi, right? So yeah, I got you know um, later on in the week, I was on bloody decks, and I told me yeah, mahi had been spotted. Then I think there was one caught on a Mad Mac off Oceanside that week. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> then they started talking about the striped marlin. So yeah. I chimed in on that. I was like, a striped marlin right off La Jolla. Right. And then the backlash started. You know, they're not here. You know, they come later in the season. They're not here till August, September. Exactly. That's when all the, the pros go out and chase them. I'm like, no, they're like, they're right there. Yeah. They're chasing the mahi. And then, you know, the, a month later, the mahi were too big for the striped marlin to eat. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, dude, and the, uh, what's his face, uh, the dude with the, god damn, like, he's got, like, the seven boats around the world, and, like, that, that was Bad funny company. when he was, like, like, you were, like, yeah, man, I saw, like, you know, a sword and a stripey, like, you know, in, like, close enough to each other or whatever, and he's, like, you can't, 
see that like <laughs> oh I, yeah i've seen more than anybody i've caught more than anybody and, yeah he, he uh, found two surface swords down off somewhere off south america and it was like the first time ever recorded first time seen by people and i'm like no that's that's not true yeah. <laughs> <laughs> just because you know you're a millionaire and you're popular putting it out there doesn't mean it's the first time yeah that that's ever happened like last year was incredible we I saw six or seven swordfish on the surface, not even looking for them, just cruising. Yeah. You know, because we cruise around those boats at 12 to 15 miles an hour. Yeah. If that. And just along that ledge, along the continental shelf, launch out Oceanside, head south, zigzag. Um, we came across six or seven swordfish just fitting on the surface. The big one was massive. It was, yeah. it was probably as thick as Arca boats. Yeah. And uh, never seen a fish that looked like that. Just, you know, a barrel. It looks like two barrels put together with a fin and a bill. Yeah. Super incredible. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, then my buddy Dale, I don't know if you've met him, Dale Edmonds. Um, yeah. He's pretty low key on social media and he doesn't post on any of the forums, but uh, he's probably one of the better fishermen here in Southern California. It just doesn't put himself out there. Yeah. Uh, he was out there and he saw two striped Marlin working a little bait ball, like right next to each other. Yeah. And then sent us the video and, I was like, did, did you go after him? He's like, no, I just watched. <laughs> but uh, yeah, Southern California is incredible. A lot more, a lot more fish and pelagics here than I would ever th have thought. Because growing up, you had to get on a boat. Well, in my earlier years, up until shoot, until I was like 15, 16, it was all albacore. Right. And uh, you get on a three-quarter day boat and go catch albacore, and like yellowfin were mixed in, and a bluefin yeah. was just the the anomaly right um and there were just as many big eyes bluefin at that point right like they're, i'm like not they're, sure about big eye i know that like i used to scan sport fishing report a lot and i i remember seeing like just like a spackling of big eye like in the early 2000s where like we we never see them now i think we we might have seen like one in the past year or something like that and like at least if, if you scan like there historically it's like You'll see them now, I guess, as often as you'd see an albacore now out here or something like that. Where mm -hmm. It's like, like, oh, there's one this year. And like the bluefin seemed like it was it was kind of like that at that point. Yeah. Um, so the last, I want to say six years, ever since that really warm year, I think 2015, 2016, right. I was in Japan at the time. I was living in Okinawa. And that's when I was really started following Bloody Decks. Yeah. Which is weird because I didn't really follow Bloody Decks the entire time I lived out here. Yeah. Then I moved to Japan. And the big thing out there was marlin fishing. Yeah. And I was deckhanding for Salty Rods Charters. And it would just be, it'd be me and the captain. And yeah. the captain is Japanese, um, speaks a little bit of English, but he's usually in the wheelhouse. And he's driving the whole day. Um, he'd come out and help unhook fish, you know, if it got yeah. overwhelming. But we're out there trolling and everybody wants to catch marlin. So I had to figure out how to catch marlin. And at the time, Bloody Decks had a billfish for him. Yeah. And it was just dedicated to billfish. Well... Same idea for the spreads, but the stuff that works out here yeah. does not work out there in Japan. Yeah. <laughs> the colors are different. The heads are different. It's just, the speed's different. Yeah. Uh, we were trolling a lot faster out there. Yeah. Uh, What's I the remember, speed here versus there? Well, I remember they were saying anywhere from 8 to 10 knots. For here? For here. Um, I think even Hawaii mm. and down in anywhere in Mexico where they target them. They were saying 8 to 10 knots was the average. And out there in Japan, we were cruising at 10 to 12 knots. Yeah. So 
longer heads yeah that have a shorter slant to them that way they they track better and you don't get a huge if you have a a fatter head with a a flat face on it's just going to be too much pressure uh they make a good wake and they make a good bubble trail yeah but they also pop and jump and it just sometimes the hook will come flying up and grab the leader it it comes a mess yeah so if you're cruising slow and you're actually targeting marlin you can go eight to ten and those are fine but when we're transiting from the harbor you know they're 25, 30 miles offshore. Yeah. We're putting out a marlin spread, and we're hoping we get a marlin, which worked out a lot. Um, but, yeah, that's when I started following Bloody Decks, and uh, they were talking about having 75, 76, and up to 78-degree water. Yeah. And I remember reading that, and I, one of my first posts on there, I was like, you guys might want to start pulling some Wahoo lures, you know, because that's, that's the temperature that we have out here, 78 to 80. Yeah. And... Uh, Sure enough, in like a week, they were posting Wahoo. And I'm not saying they took my advice, but yeah, but it was you know, there. called yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> so that was super cool. And then, you know, that that sparked my interest interest for coming back to California because I thought it was going to stay. I thought yeah. that was going to be the norm. Um, turns out it's not. And then we've been praying for Wahoo ever since. Right. And uh, that year, remember that year they had snow and hail that stuck to uh, Doheny. Yeah. And earlier this year. It snowed on Doheny Beach. That's right. So I was like, hey, is, you know, is history going to repeat itself? Yeah. And uh, a couple of guys on there were like, no, you're fucking dumb. <laughs> I was like, all right. <laughs> yeah, it didn't but, get quite as, as warm this year, but and I'm kind of glad that the Mahi didn't do what they did last year. I got, I mean, like, I like I was gapping like 100 of them a day for a minute as, as a deckhand, and it was like, I just never wanted to see one after that. Even though, like, they I used to be that. my favorite favorite fish. And then I realized, like, after that, that they really don't deserve to be a favorite fish just because they're they're just, like... They know, look cool. They yeah. Ju- yeah, they look cool, but then it's, like, they're kind of whores. And, like, you know, <laughs> they, they fuck like rabbits, and they're, like, really plentiful, at least when they're around. It's, like... Yeah. Like, it's... Uh, I think you, you got to respect a fish that's that's harder to get. I mean, kind of like a bluefin. I... I, I now it's like I'm focusing. I think next year I'm gonna focus. I don't know. It's hard to it's hard to say that, but like, I I was gonna say I want to focus on striped marlin, but it's like you know you get you get a couple shots a year, and so it's not like something you can really focus on, especially as like a small boater like who's staying coastal. Like yeah, if you're lucky, you're gonna you're gonna run up on a couple, or if you spend enough time out there, you're gonna run up on a couple. But yeah. for the most part, like like I I know that there were a, there were a handful recorded like off of like around Newport Canyon in like late June or something like that. And I was like, okay, like this is going to be a good year. And I didn't, I don't think I heard another peep about Marlin local. Well, they or, usually have the Marlin tournament. Yeah. And so IGFA, I believe, I don't, I don't really follow all their tournaments, but I believe they have the Marlin tournament and they had a tuna and the swordfish tournament. Yeah. But this year they did like an all in one pelagics tournament, like the Marlin or the That's IGFA right. open. Yeah. And I didn't really follow that because I was hoping that the swordfish one would come and I was going to enter the swordfish tournament. Yeah. Um, but they just didn't do it this year. So last year, I heard about the whole marlin tournament and all the marlin that came in and like hookups and stuff. And yeah. it seemed like they were fishing around from Avalon up to the north side of Catalina. It seems to be that area that they fish yeah. for them. Um, <clears throat> but also, we have a really short window for the striped marlin yeah at least i feel like because i mean we saw them in june or in july everybody says it's like august september that you usually fish them but that short window and if you're working every day 
then you have to find a good weather window to go out. And then if the chlorophyll and the temp break is different on that day, then yeah. you're just absolutely screwed. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it'd be, I feel like it'd be super hard in our smaller boats. Not, not completely impossible, but super difficult, especially with that small, small time uh, window to get out there. Yeah. But yeah, definitely, definitely something I'd like to do. Something yeah. I'd like to see you do. Yeah. No, it's uh, uh, hanging over, hanging over me now that uh, at least I finally got the bluefin and the thresher. That was my main thing. Like once I saw, you know, when you first, you, when you got your first one, I started thinking like maybe like literally within 24 hours of you catching it, I was thinking to myself, water temp is right. Like I looked at the conditions on like, uh, on Terrafin or whatever. And I was like, oh, hell yeah. Like, like me and Chris should buddy boat. And then like, as soon as I think that I go on Instagram to like tell you, and then there you are with like your, your first one that was like 115 or something like that. Yeah. And I was like, God damn it. <laughs> like, <laughs> I mean, you let me in on the bite and that, I, that was really cool seeing those for the first time. Cause like, that was one, like, that was the first time I really went offshore and I was like, uh, at least no, not entirely true, but, um, first time going like, like Fortuna. And so it was just like, you know, getting out there, I wasn't seeing a lot of life. And the next thing I know, I see like, what looks like dolphins and it's like 150 pound bluefin, like coming straight at me and then like hook up to one, lose it. Cause it was like stock treble. And then like a little bit later, like run up like five minutes later, run up on another one. And then I look below the boat and it's like crystal clear water. And there's like 150 pound class fish just going under like 20 feet under the boat and i'm like dude like these things could just like it just feels like a herd of cows literally <laughs> that could just like bowl you over and just murder you without thinking about it and i was just like dude this is like you know this is nat geo shit like yeah. i mean like i wish i caught one but like this alone is just amazing and um and then struggled for another year and change to finally get one but um but yeah that, that shit's wild and then, um that was a that was a cool bite um uh yeah what's cool in... our, our little boats the especially the kibbutz i noticed with mine not so much <clears throat> that new briz that i have yeah the black one it's got kind of 30 horsepower it's got the new inline three cylinder powerhead yeah um it doesn't seem to be as stealthy around the the bluefin because i've ran into them a couple times and they yeah. just pff, they they run away yeah but it's also super late in season which yeah. is on par with how they act but the kibbutz with the small motors, it seems like either they're attracted to it yeah. or they just don't care because so, they will come right up to the boat. They'll, they'll foam. You can sit right in yeah. the middle of the foam and they'll stay there yeah. and you can literally reach out and touch them. So that, yeah, I saw, I saw your, vi some videos that like, you're like hooked up and then they're just like, it's they're just, bumping into it the looks boat. like you're in a river. Yeah. Like it's ridiculous. But I know that, um, like as I was watching some maintenance, uh, maintenance videos on my Mercury six, I realized that, uh, the motors I've been using, the four and the six, uh, are single cylinder and, uh, especially the six, because it's like the most powerful single cylinder, it's going to have the most vibration, yep. uh, because there's not like another cylinder to, uh, to balance it out. So once you get into the three cylinder, is it, uh, is it sort of a similar effect where it's not balancing out with the, like so you, it's, you have two cylinders on the 9.8, right? Yeah, it was two cylinders on the 9.8. And it didn't seem as rough at idle. Yeah. Like there wasn't a lot of vibration at idle. But when you got up into the higher end of the throttle, uh, it was louder. It was definitely louder and it had kind of like a, 
I compare everything like a V6 to a V8. Sure. But you know that V8 like rumble, like it just sounds like it has power. That's what the two cylinder almost sounds like. It's yeah. it's a lot scaled down. Yeah. But it almost has that like growl to it. Yeah. And then the three cylinder, for some reason, it has. I mean, it's. I guess they're both in line, but the three cylinder just has that. Um. Like a super rough idle. And I don't want to say rough because then it sounds like the motor's not running right. Right. But it's just, it, it shakes. It's almost yeah. like like my 5.9 Cummins is an inline six-cylinder. Sure. And that thing rattles. Yeah. Especially at idle. Um, that's kind of how that one is. And then, but once you start it and once you start going, it's quiet. Yeah. I, I can hardly hear it behind me. So I think, I think it's just putting off a different pitch yeah. into the water and they can hear it or even... Uh, my prop is putting off some kind of harmonic pitch. Right. And they hear that and they don't like it. But I haven't had issues getting within casting range, but they definitely don't stick around. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. But it is nice having a 30 horsepower versus a 9.8. Yeah, I bet. <laughs> I bet. That's That's got to be... I'm, I'm a little jealous. I mean, I, like, I'm honestly... I've kind of been redlining with, with at least the way that I assembled a Mosquito is like... Like, I just go, like, dude, I mean, at least now I'm inflating it the night before, so I don't have quite as much, like, you know, time to kill in the morning or whatever, but, um, uh, but it's just, like, so much work putting it together. It's, like, I really, like, I don't have a place to put, like, a trailer, but, like, I'm so ready to, um, at least mentally, not in any other way, to, yeah. like, just pick up, like, a, like, a little living stand or something like that. I'd like a 14 or a 155 or something like that and uh uh put some twins twin twin 30s for the 14 would be cool or um twin for the tohatsus because that'd be like two 260 pounds total or something like that and then uh on the 155 i saw somebody put something ridiculous uh on on the back of it whatever it was it was heavier than two honda 50s so i was like okay i'm gonna do two honda 50s if i do a 155 but that's all like that's a couple years out but it's uh yeah dude I'm like getting a little bit sick of the little and little inflatable <laughs> like I haven't I actually haven't been out in almost a month um which is the longest I've gone since coming since I got like my outboard back like a year and a half ago from some long like COVID maintenance and whatever and uh, like I'm I mean I've got this like ridiculous car repair that I had to pay so I just had to like cut all spending and like focus all focus up. So I'm pretty much out of that, and I I'll, I think I'm gonna go try and deep drop on Wednesday. We'll see if the weather continues to permit. But there's a pretty good weather window then, and uh, but yeah, I'm a little bit. I'm I'm like I want to go faster. Like yeah. I'm going like especially like so I wanted to ask um, like it looks so what I do when I uh when I'm putting the boat in the water uh is like I have it on like basically a kayak cart. I I, mm. I put like the kayak dolly underneath it and then I throw the outboard on the uh, transom and then I wheel it into the water by hand and uh, and then when I take it out of the water I take the outboard off of the transom walk it over to the car uh, throw it in the car and then I grab the boat and like pull it out of the water so that like you know that uh, uh, the outboard isn't like dragging onto the ramp so like you use I know I know you can definitely lift more than I can but like like sixty five pounds with the, with the six horsepower kind of feels like my limit. I really don't want to like lift ninety pounds of outboard like that. The way that you would have to like off the ramp in the yeah. water, like I don't want to do that. 
so how do you how would you do that like when you were taking the boat in and out of the water with the 9.8 just manhandle it yeah like i don't i don't want like a bragging moment here but (laughs) (laughs) i am larger than most people yeah you are no you're six and a half feet tall and pushing 300 pounds and yeah i've lifted been lifting pretty much my entire life yeah um but only properly for the past about five years. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> the other stuff is just gym bros, gym bro workouts and, sure. you know, anything my buddies wanted to do. But, yeah. uh, yeah, it's just, it's easier for me to pick up a hundred pound outboard yeah. and lift it straight up. And also where somebody that's six foot tall yeah. would be almost dragging the lower unit on the, the ground. Yeah. I lift it and just flex a little bit and it's, you know, it's almost a foot off the ground because I'm so tall. Yeah. So it's easier to do that. And then getting it in the back, I've put it in the back of my, uh, my pickup truck, which is a 2,500 and the the 2,500 heavy duties, they come stock taller than normal, like 1500s or the, the two wheel drive, uh, 2,500s. So it's almost like a lifted truck. Yeah. Um, but I would just grab grab the top end and kind of squat back with it and get the lower unit up and parallel with my hips and then slide it in to the back of the truck Gotcha. and then hop up in the back of the truck and then pick it up again, put it on a motor stand that I had uh, ratchet strapped into the back up against the back of the bed. Yeah. And then tighten it down on that. And that's where I would transport my motor. Okay. Um, like my, my girlfriend would never be able to accomplish that on sure. her own. Yeah. <laughs> So very, very few people could do that on their own. Yeah. Um, I mean, I'm sure there's a majority of guys that are going to listen to this and be like, yeah, I can do that. And they probably could. But sure, yeah. Um, yeah, when people ask me what motor to get for those, yeah. I always tell them the six horsepower. Yeah. Just because it, it'll get you above 10 miles an hour. And really, you only if you're cruising around in the bays or inshore, you don't yeah. have to go much faster. Yeah. Um, there are definitely, like, I mean, I go out on so many, like, cupcake days basically i mean i'm like i'll admit i'm totally like fair weather fisherman because like like i've kind of designed my life around it where it's like i grub hub full time so it's like so i can pick any morning i like like mm-hmm. seven days a week but i'm also working seven days a week so like it's like you know it's the trade-off and like so i'm picking like like you know where the swell period is like three to one or four to one or even better and like a lot of those days I'm like heading out there and I'm like, I know if I had the top end, I could use it. And then of course, like, yeah, as soon as there's any chop, it's like, I, you know, I don't even want to go full speed at 12 knots or whatever. It's like, like I'm kind of eating shit at 10 or whatever the hell. But there's one other guy who, uh, launches out here that I've kind of become internet friends with. Uh, he also uses a 9.8. So I've been meaning to ask him, but I know he, he actually uses like a, like a mud bank in the, uh, in Huntington Harbor to, to launch. And like, that sounds like a lot of work to me where like, he's got to come down this berm and like, you know, with the 9.8 and the boat and everything else. And I'm like, yeah, I'd rather pay the 15 bucks in the, at the ramp. And like, especially if there's a little dock clean. there. Yeah. No, the like, yeah, there's a uh, South shores, um, uh, in mission Bay. Mm-hmm. It's nice cause it's free, but it is a little bit of a trick to like, to drag the boat, like, uh, launch it, drag it, you know, without a ramp. Like, there is the ramp, but you have to, like, there's, it's like a bridge that's, like, way higher than the water for, like, like 30, 50 feet, and so you can't just, like, walk it on a rope. I mm-hmm. guess you could if you had a long enough rope, and I, I have, like, a 10-foot dock leash or something like that, because I'm just, I do what I do. 
But um, yeah, just like when I go over there, which has only been a few times, I've it's like okay, well now I gotta like take actually take it like you know take the outboard off in the bank and like get my feet wet and all this shit and it's like yeah like too much work for me so yeah so uh i was curious um i mean it was it was gonna be my first question but like how did you like what was your first getting into fishing like how did you get into it and what was the environment that eventually got you like addicted to it so my dad force fed me fishing yeah. Uh, when I was a baby, I came home because he had me on the pier all day with him nice. and half my face was sunburned. Yeah. I guess my mom was super mad about that. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, like my dad was obsessed with fishing. Um, that was his pastime, like the way that he relieved stress. So, and he was stationed down here on Pendleton. So I lived down here in Oceanside or down in Oceanside until I was six, mm-hmm. and then we moved up to Ranch Cucamonga in San Bernardino County. And uh, from there, we fished the lakes and stuff. Mm-hmm. But he had, and we'd still come down and fish like Santa Monica Pier, Newport Pier. Newport Pier was one of uh, our favorite places to go. Hmm. But uh, he had a boat, and it was uh, kind of like a crossover. I don't, a bow rider like a pleasure yeah. boat, like a river boat almost, inboard, outboard, and he made some rod holders for the back so we could we could troll, and his thing would, was going out and trolling for shark, and we'd catch makos mm. and blue sharks and stuff. And first shark I caught was a five-foot mako mm. on a pen six-aught and just had it in the rod holder and reeled it in. You know, yeah. six-aughts are already in low gear. Yeah. And, uh, yeah, so I sat on, on the side of the boat there and just reeled it in. He gaffed it. And, you know, I, I caught a Mako. I was, like, I was on cloud nine. I was, yeah. like, five years old. <laughs> so, uh, you know, that memory's always stuck with me. And then we were landlocked for a little bit. Not really landlocked, but hour and a half from the beach. Yeah. You don't just it's a trip. pick up and go. Yeah. So we fished the, the lakes, and we just started targeting, you know, the bigger fish, the, uh, the carp that are in there. Nobody yeah. really wants to catch them, but you go down there with a trout rod yeah. and some mealworms and start, start catching big carp on six pound tests, four oh, pound yeah. tests. It's fun. Yeah. Um, so we did that a lot and we fished, uh, pudding stone, Frank G. Benelli park. Mm-hmm. We fished that place a lot and, uh, really learned the ins and out of that lake. Had a lot of good times. And then when I was, Sorry, I got to think a minute. I want to say when I was 18. Mm-hmm. I got oh, wait, a, what, uh, what year were you born? 1990. Okay, so you, you got five years on me. Okay. Yeah. So and then I joined the Marine Corps when I was 18. Yeah. I went to Okinawa, Japan, came back in 2011. So 2011, I bought my first kayak. Mm-hmm. And then it was, I guess, I want to say all downhill from there, but... Kind of uphill too, depending on how you look at it. <laughs> yeah. Because it just, you know, fishing became a money pit after yeah. that. I was doing a lot of surf fishing before that, catching leopard sharks, right. chasing soup fin, but then I had a kayak. So had to re-rig for the kayak, had to get electronics, fish yeah. finder, um, batteries, get the chargers, make sure yeah. I had extra batteries, and then oh, make yeah. sure I had a way to transport a 13 foot. It was a 14. It was X, uh, Malibu X Factor. Yeah. So I think it was 14 four. Um, things a barge it'll go anywhere yeah you know it takes 
a lot of effort to get the thing going, yeah. but then it just doesn't stop. So you okay. just keep paddling and it goes, goes through chop and waves and nice. it was great. Yeah. Um, fish La Jolla a lot and got into the yellowtail down there, started learning the halibut game. Yeah. And, uh, by that time, by the time I started, you know, dipping my toes into the halibut, I PCS out to Florida mm-hmm. and right around that time I came up on a deal for a Hobie pro angler. So I bought the Hobie Pro Angler out here, and then it was in, like, November of 2012, and then I PCS'd in January of 2013. So I had the the Hobie, caught my first yellowtail on the Pro Angler. Not my first yellowtail ever, but first yellowtail on the Pro Angler Yeah. in December, and then packed it up and went to uh, Florida. Nice. Um, and then we did a lot of land-based shark fishing out there. Mm-hmm. Um, did a lot of kayak fishing, and the kayak fishing was great because... We were almost breaking new ground because a lot of people would say, like, things didn't bite at night. Nobody really fished at night. They wouldn't take their boats out at night, kayaks out at night. Yeah. And me and my buddy really only had time to fish at night. Yeah. So we'd be fishing off the beach for sharks, and a couple times we were like, just take the kayaks out, and we'll go out to the artificial reef. It's it's like five. One was about five miles. The other one was about seven and a half miles. <laughs> But you troll the whole time. You put king yeah. rigs back. You put a deep diver. Um, I trolled the the uh, X wrap. I want to say twelve. It's not the one with the small lip. It's the the first size with a a bigger deep diver lip. Yeah. I think it's a twelve. It might be a fourteen. Troll one of those, and then a duster with a king rig, which is just three treble hooks, and you put a dead bait on there. Yeah. Usually the uh, other oh, type of minnow. I forget what they're called, but you can just buy a fro- frozen bag of them, kind of like anchovies, but yeah. they're in way better condition because yeah. they take care of their bait out there. They don't just put it in a bag and throw it in a freezer. It takes yeah. three days to freeze it. Yeah. Uh, so we'd get those or catch some hard heads or blue, ru- blue runners, which they look like little giant trevally. Right. Or Yeah, I, I, uh, uh, I fished a little bit in Corpus Christi, so I know yeah. both of those, yeah. Yeah. Um, Catch those in the eight to 10 inch range, and yeah. then you put those out behind you, and yeah. you're doing kayak speed. You're doing like two and a half miles an hour. Yeah. So it takes three three hours to get out there. But we started catching fish at midnight. Yeah. yeah. You know, we're, we're coming back or going out at yeah. midnight, depending if we were going to go out and fish till morning, or we launched at sunset and we're coming back. Uh, but we're getting smoked by kingfish in the middle of the night. And yeah. catching, you know, not huge ones, eight to 12 pound kingfish but yeah. it was like unheard of yeah. and i asked so many people you know why don't you guys fish at night are they do they bite at night a couple of guys were like oh i heard they do or something like that you they know stories and then they do i went on a um a twilight out of uh corpus christi and um i know we were drifting for like kings and, and stuff like that like it was very much like wire leaders and uh over there it was they were using a lot of uh like dead ribbon fish i want to say and uh so i guess at least they knew about it over there but it was that was also a fucking horrible night of fishing it was like a new moon or a full moon or some bullshit and the deckhand was like oh this is gonna suck and it's like <laughs> but anyways go on um so uh, so so the night fishing out there we'd go out to the artificial reefs and catch snapper and amberjack yeah uh, and we didn't really get sharked at night, which was weird. That is weird. And then during the day, we'd go out there and pull up half an amberjack yeah. because it got sharked. Yeah. But fishing at night, it was like the sharks didn't really chase those fish that are yeah. <clears throat> being harassed and hooked and stuff. 
So that was nice. Um, I thought we were going to have a lot more run-ins with sharks at night, which I think the yeah. only one I can really remember was a small tiger shark, like yeah. four or five foot. Yeah. It came up and just circled around the kayaks and then left. Yeah. And it was, that was it. So uh, in SoCal, we have like the predictable afternoon winds and maybe a little bit of like a, uh, like a north morning wind. Mm-hmm. Like in uh, what part of Florida were you in? What kind of what kind of like uh, wind patterns uh, is it over there? So I was in <clears throat> I was in Destin, Eglin Air Force Base, uh, which is next to Destin. But we would always fish down by Pensacola, yeah, which was like a forty minute drive. Uh, the winds, so we get the north winds in the fall, and they come right out of the north and they rip like twenty five miles an hour, yeah. and that's when everybody they. They use kites off the beach, and they use yeah. kites off the piers. Uh, something that I've wanted to try out here, yeah. but it's just the winds are more or less predictable out here. Yeah, and uh, it never seems to be like a perfect wind to fly a kite off a pier out here. Like yeah. Maybe early morning. Yeah, but then it, it switches at like ten. Yeah, and then you know you're done. But out there, the winds would blow pretty much all day, and you can get a kite up, and. Uh, either off the beach or the pier and then fish it just like we do out here with the kite and the breakaway or yeah. use a little uh, clothespin and then skip a small live bait or dead bait across the surface and catch kings and cobia and yeah. stuff like that. Um, Jack Creval. Yeah. Those. So that's, that's a really interesting way of fishing that they, they do out there. There's a few guys that did it often. Yeah. Um, I don't really hear about it too much anymore. Yeah. But the winds, and then during the summer, they were super predictable, too. It seemed like the wind would come out of the southwest. So when we went out to the artificial reefs and we came in in the evenings, the wind would be at our back. Nice. It's kind of like here. You can go out in the morning and it's super calm. Yeah. Then that wind picks up or you're going with the wind out and it's super smooth. And then even though the swell and the chop picks up, you're coming in with it. So it's not as bad. Okay. Um, yeah, I was I was curious, like when when you said going out five to seven miles at night in a kayak, I'm like like I know I, I guess I was originally thinking like like Miami and stuff like that, and I know yeah, that they can not... be a little bit more. Uh, the 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 wind is pretty un I wouldn't say unpredictable, but it changes a lot like over there. So I was curious if yeah, like, it's not like the East Coast or South Florida where yeah. it's unpredictable and there's giant waves. There was more glass days on the Gulf yeah. than there was when there was a ripple on the water. Right. Uh, we did have a couple of tropical storms, and we had a hurricane that came through the south that really turned it up. And yeah. even those days, it was like your average mediocre day here in Southern California. Like, sure. There's some white caps, but still plowed through it and tried to go fishing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, not not bad at all. I guess when you get out towards the rigs and you get out way out there in the Gulf, it's more unpredictable. But within yeah. ten miles of the, sh- the shoreline, like we, we could go anywhere. Yeah. Hmm. Super fun out there. Yeah, oh, that sounds nice. Um, and that's the other thing I think. Fishing a kayak like that for so long was an easy transition into the inflatable. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Because I'm used to going two and a half, three miles an hour. Yeah. And now I can go ten to fifteen. Yeah. And I'm almost going too fast. Yeah. Because I. In the kayak, I always have bait behind me. Yeah. So then I learn where the fish are. Like, I pass by a certain kelp yeah. or a certain rock. Yeah. You know, and 
I learned that there's fish that congregate around there by having a bait out behind me yeah. here or with having that inflatable, I'm going too fast. I'm not always pulling a bait. So I'm, I'm passing up fish. I know yeah. I am. Uh, and they could be, you know, a hundred yards out of the Harbor. Right. So that's, that's a downfall. Um, and I think we're both experienced that where we just want to chase what we know is there, especially yeah. the tuna. Yeah. And the tuna and the pelagics and the yellowfin, cause they just, it seems like the yellowfin hung out further out this year. Yeah, Last I year, it. I have video of them a mile off the pier, and they yeah. were you know right there at the drop-off transition from 90 to 300 feet of water, and wow. uh, there's yellowfin jumping, and there's the pier in the background. And this year, I didn't really see that. I saw deep dropping lately. There's still some coastal bluefin, Yeah, but like I said, they, they run as soon as you get yeah. near them. So they're still around, but the, the yellowfin that you see, I'm out at the 43 and yeah. hear about the 302 and it's like i want to get out there i want to get out there fast get in that zone because i yeah. can see the temp break and the chloro break and just start in that zone yeah but then i'm limited to 15 to 20 miles an hour so it's gonna take me two hours to get there yeah no, that's <laughs> uh, that's been a big challenge with it where it's yeah you really got to get to know your intercoastal stuff with these boats where like you can work it so effectively inside of like 15 miles but then you start to get further out and you're spending a lot of time for to get out there for for very little a lot of times so yeah. it's uh yeah i mean i saw some um like when the yellowfin first showed up i was able to at least like drop a tatty on their heads i didn't get any but it was a uh, uh saw them out of dana point that was like the first week of july or something mm-hmm. like that but i never saw any any more myself but yeah it did seem like they were out far uh, i'll say that yeah um yeah because we usually have them at least into october they'll yeah. be within earshot of the harbor you know right. but they just weren't that i know of and yeah i'm out there a lot yeah <laughs> uh but the bluefin put on a show this year yeah they stuck around they stuck around good and they showed up in numbers we had it everywhere from 20 pound fish to 150 pound fish yeah and they were all mixed in yeah. You know, they, they were in their own little groups, but they were mixed in. You could go from Oceanside up to Dana Point. Yeah. And hit every size fish along the way. Yeah. And uh, one day I lost seven. I remember that. Because I had I had 40-pound <laughs> top shot on my Alua 93H. And uh, I was like, you know, I, I'm using the uh, Daiwa Zakana yeah. lure. And it it's decent. It's like four or five inches long, depending yeah. on the 100 or 130 gram. And, you know, bite, they bite down on that. And I'm thinking, that it's not going to rub through. It'll be fine. I can get them in. And then, you know, I'm on a fish for 10 minutes. And I'm like, this is an 80-plus pound fish. Yeah. And they bite through it. Yeah. It just comes comes loose. The, the one that I got, um, like, I mean, it was in the realm of 100 pounds, I'll say. And it I had the Yozuri High Speed Vibe, which is like a 6-inch bait. And, like, I was using 100 or 125-pound liter. And it inhaled that thing it was like a foot down its gullet mm-hmm. and like thankfully it was a pretty docile fish like i like it came at me and then i had it like in the boat in like five minutes or something like that but like when i saw how like you know how big <laughs> its mouth was and how much it inhaled it i was like oh dude like like yeah if this were on for like 30 minutes or an hour i would have lost it like it was yeah. um that that shit's nuts but yeah, no, those those things have some real teeth and like I'm yeah, I'm not fucking around. Like I'm probably even on my jig stick I'm like throwing like eighty pound liter or something mm-hmm. like that. It's just 
hope for the reaction bite. Yeah, I was thinking of running wire. Yeah. I didn't I didn't catch a lot of fish on the troll. I haven't caught a bluefin on the troll on my inflatable. Yeah. I got a about a one sixty. Uh me, me and my buddy took out a slate A boat. That's right. Earlier this year. And uh, it was a charter that one of my buddies who I know pretty well and two of his buddies had gone in on and my buddy had to back out. Yeah. So I was gonna fill his spot and then go with these guys and basically drive the boat and try to try to find fish that day. And then that morning the other guy had an accident. He went through the exit only of a parking lot and got his tire slashed. Oh so. my god. Oh my god. <laughs> so he ended up having to bail last minute. So it was me and Mike and my son and we went out there and we started up in uh in Huntington. And I think yeah, it was Huntington. Started up there in Huntington and uh Went down outside the rigs, worked the, the ledge down to the 14. Yeah. And then we were seeing seeing life, and we were seeing some, like, breezers on the top. And I think right. it was yellowfin because the sceners were in there. Yeah. And they were in there thick. Um, but we weren't getting anything to bite. Yeah. And, like, we would see breezing fish, but then we would stop on a patty or something floating, and there was nothing around it. Yeah. Which was weird to me. So, uh after trolling around and trying to follow breezing fish and not having any luck, we decided we were going to cut over towards Catalina and see if we could find some yellows, some yellowtail up on the beach, which had been going off for about a week prior to that. And on our way over, we got to the 277 and we're in line with this other boat and we're just cruising. Both of us are looking for fish. You can yeah. tell. And then up, up in the distance, probably like 500 yards was a foamer. Yeah. And, I can tell that they saw it because they started speeding up. But then as they're speeding up, a foamer blew up like 100 yards off their bow. Oh, man. So they stopped. Yeah. And I was like, well, that's their fish. I'm going to go to these ones. Yeah. And then on our way to those ones, another foamer blew up about 100 yards oh you know, off of our starboard side. So we're surrounded by fish. Nice. And it just it turned into like a two-mile square of foamers. <sighs> and there were like 14 or 15 boats that came in. There was kites up in the air. Nice. People doing donuts with Mad Max and stuff. And we got one fish. It turned out to be around 160. And uh, we dipped out. Yeah. Like, there were so many people. By the time we got our fish, there was so many people in there just crisscrossing. It oh, wasn't yeah. worth it. Yeah. Um, tried to get a good line on a couple of foamers to pull the Mad Maxes. We were under gun for yeah. lures, especially with that size of fish. Yeah. So we had the trollers out. And we get in line to go around and across the foamer because when you when you pull the Mad Max through, you want to go out around them and then turn sharp and then straighten out again so your line comes through them and through that foam, but you're you're not running through the fish. Yeah. Uh, we try to do that and then you know get like a half circle on them and there's another boat cutting through the, the foamer or there's a kite. Right. You know that you're gonna run over and it's like yeah. it's time to go. <laughs> Unfortunately, that yeah. could have been. My only day of getting two tuna, but it wasn't. <laughs> yeah. No, it's uh, fucking hectic once you get out there with that kind of stuff. But, yeah. No, you uh, you had a pretty good year this year. And then you just got your second second sword from an inflatable, correct? Mm -hmm. I feel like you... I feel like... I, I hesitate because it feels like you got three now. Because, uh, I don't know. But um, I've, got a, I've got a really dumb question for, for a sword fisherman. Um uh, uh, I like I see the I see the setup and how you have some will use two weights I guess you can get away with one weight uh, and like it's for like a really 
basic, like a, a layman's rig. It's basically a Carolina rig with how, how except with like 60 feet a liter or something mm-hmm. like that. Uh, I'm curious, like, why wouldn't basically like a dropper loop drop shot, like style of like straight in line with the sinker on the end work? Are you worried about that, that weight working the hook free during the fight or like the fish not approaching the bait to begin with because of the line? Um, I'm just following the lead of sure, people yeah. that have been doing this for 30 years. Yeah. <laughs> they yeah. figured it out on the East coast and it transitioned over here. Yeah. The drop, I think the dropper loop style or like you can do a double dropper for bottom fishing. I think something right. like that because people have caught swordfish doing that. They've yeah. dropped down in 1200 feet of water in the Gulf and on the East coast and they, they hook a swordfish. So yeah. it would work. Yeah. But that long leader, the presentation and I use 75 to a hundred foot. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, when you drop it there, you don't want your bait to spin and you rig it so right. it doesn't spin. But if it does spin and it's dropping straight down, it's going to wrap up on the leader yeah. or your main line. So having that long leader, your bait is a hundred feet, 75 to a hundred feet away from the weight. And then you drive the boat forward as right. you're letting line out. So it basically becomes a V in yeah. the water rather than an L, if right. that makes sense. So you don't yeah, have your line you're, you're straight maintaining down. like, like a kind of a right angle with yeah. the, with the angle facing the ground as it drops. So you don't, so they, the so they don't cross don't and, yeah. and tangle. Yeah. And then also the lights. So you would have to put lights on your main line, which would probably be braid. Yeah. And then figure out how to clip them on there. You don't want to damage braid. Braid damage is a lot easier than mono. Right. Um, it's basically like a trolling spread. So you have your bait in the back and then you have a light and I've seen people put them three feet from the bait, six feet from the bait. Yeah. Um, usually 12 to 20 feet, your first little diamond light, it blinks. And then another 15 to 20 feet, put another one. Yeah. And then you have your weight and larger, uh, the larger light that puts out a lot of lumens and like an illuminated area. Yeah. So those, those act kind of like a trolling spread. So you have your blinking lights, your, your big one is like the boat. So when you're trolling, the boat attracts fish. Yeah. Uh, unless it's bluefin. Yeah. And it scares away the fish. But when you're trolling, the boat usually attracts fish. So think of that light as your boat. And then yeah. you have your spread. You have your teasers and, you know, all the ones around the boat that are get, getting the attention of the fish to come up. And they, they chase those um, or they at least have more interest in it because they see them in your prop wash. Right. Uh, so those lights are kind of like that. That's getting the attention making it look like there's something feeding down there, there's squid blinking or there's another fish over there. So then they come in to investigate and then you have your shotgun or your whiskey line, which is your actual main bait, the squid way, way back there in the back. Mm -hmm. And it's almost out of the, the illuminated area, just kind of like in the shadow. Yeah. So when that predatory fish comes in and he's looking at what's in there, he comes across your bait. Yeah. And hopefully, you know, he's going to hit that and get it because it's in the dark and you know, he's, got the element of surprise yeah um that's the way i look mm-hmm. at it and then also having 100 feet of heavy mono use 200 pound wind on with 65 pound braid right uh, when i get two wraps of 200 pound mono on my reel yeah then i can up the drag and i can put more pressure on that fish and then keep him there on the leader rather than worry about him you know taking off with only 18 to 20 pounds of drag and using 65 pound braid 
How much uh, how much drag are you putting on once you have the two hundred pound on? Uh, so I haven't. I usually don't bump it above strike. Strike yeah. is set at twenty to twenty one. Yeah. And then full, if I remember right, was thirty one on my pen. Um, I haven't had to do that, but I'll definitely thumb the spool. Yeah. Or just put my hand on it so it doesn't go down. Or grab the line and then pull and crank at the same time to get line back on the reel. Yeah. It's just, it's more comfortable. I would definitely not do that with the, the braid in the water. Yeah. Just because you don't know. There could be some kind of small nick or whatever. Yeah, I get that. Um, so, yeah, I'm just following what people have done yeah. since they started it. And uh, it works. Yeah. So, no, I like, I definitely uh, see, like, you know... Uh, if you Google swordfish rig, you're going to get essentially the same product, but like everybody has different variations on how long, how long the, uh, your leaders are, how much weight you have, if you're going to have a breakaway weight, if you're going to yeah. like, you know, what kind of baits you're going to use, how you're going to rig them, how many lights, how far up the lights are, blah, blah, blah. It's all personal preference. So like when I was like, when I, like this year when I started dropping for sables, like I, like, thought to myself, like, you know, like, swords are, like, might be in the same area. There's a chance. Like, it's not a big chance, but there's also not been a lot of hook-and-line sable fishermen in SoCal. So, like, there's not a lot of data as to whether you're going to run into a sword or not. And so, like, the first thing I thought was, well, if I'm going to have two hooks down there, one might as well be, like, a, you know, like a 4X, like, you know, with, like, 200 pound to it. And then have, like, so I had, like, a... At least the first couple times I went out, it, yeah, I did like a three way swivel where like the the second swivel is like built off of the first one, so that one's got like like the seven aught circle hook, and that's got like a big whole squid or something like that, and then below it shoots down like thirty pound line with like a number four circle with like a little tiny piece of whatever and like a pound weight, and I was like, all right, like covering my bases here, like you know, hopefully I'm I'm still looking for you know new species like a sable or a hake or some bullshit like that, but but if I like you know if I run into a sword, why not? But also at the same time, I'm not prepared for a sword. I I don't have my flying gaff rig yet, and that's like uh that comes in clutch You're i just would gonna say. have to lip it <laughs> yeah, no, like what the fuck am i gonna like i i figure like if i had to like with a sword and pit i'm more i'm way more concerned with a sword than i would be with a striped marlin like that's what i've heard anyways where like it's actually like stupid sharp and things like that so so um, yeah the uh the bills on the marlin they're like really rough sandpaper yeah. they do have a point yeah and when we fish marlin in japan like I had one bill go through all the way through a cooler into the inside of it, <laughs> yeah. and then the other one stuck into the side of the boat where there's yeah. a cushion. Um, but they're not, it's not like knife sharp on the yeah. sides. And yeah. those swordfish, the sides of their bills are actually sharp. Yeah. So if you grab it with an ungloved hand and you try to pull that, pull it in by the bill like yeah. you would a, uh, a marlin, yeah. it might slice you. It feels yeah. like it will. Yeah. Um, I haven't tested it. Yeah, but I mean, it definitely feels like it's sharp enough to slice into your fingers if you try to grab it by the bill. Are so, you using just like like a standard work glove for that when you are handling it? Or I've got using... neoprene. Well, they're they're like nylon neoprene Afco uh, gloves. Sure. And I use them for diving and also for fishing. Okay. Because they can stay wet twenty four seven, and they, yeah. they've held up for over a year, just constantly being wet. Yeah. Um, I like those a lot, so I use those, and they have a little bit of like a 
a fake leather deal on the the fingers and the palm. Yeah. So it's super easy to grab uh, lobsters and also grab fish. Yeah. So I like those. Yeah. The uh, but they don't keep your hands warm. Yeah. Because well, one they're still wet from the day before. So when it's early morning and I put my gloves on and I've got the tiller, my hands are still cold. So uh, I was thinking about getting some different gloves. Yeah. There's some leather ones to put on. Um, but yeah, the sable fish, I got, I picked up a Daiwa Sea Power 1200, which is like just the slight upgrade to the Tanacom 1200. Yeah. Put a bigger motor in it. So I found a good deal on a brand new one. Picked that up and, uh, I'm going to go try deep dropping for sables, you know, 1200 to 1600 feet on the little slopes at the same time. I'm going to have a buoy rod out. Yeah. Well, with, are you allowed swords. to do that with, uh, uh, like, I mean, yeah, I'm not a hundred percent sure on this, but since you're fishing, since you're bottom fishing with the sable, uh, can you have a second rod out? Because when you're ground fishing, you can only have one rod out, right? With two, two hooks, one rod as long as, and, but I'm not sure if, if that's an overlap of like absolute, that's, hundred percent true if you're rock fishing yeah so if you're sable fishing well now like, that you brought this up i gotta look into it because it's on it's recorded no, like, <laughs> no, no, no. but uh i've seen i've seen guys drop down baits while they're drifting for tours i don't know okay. if it's legal or if they're actually gonna punish you for trying to catch something else while you have a swordfish bait yeah. out but my swordfish bait isn't on the bottom it's yeah, usually uh, mid-column. No, that's, like, that's the thing, because, like, when I was over, like, when I'm at the 14, uh, like, I am kind of thinking the same thing, where it's like, okay, well, I, like, I'm definitely able to catch a rockfish here, but, like, the last time I was at the 14 doing that, I was like, well, there, I also went there with the idea that, like, I might run into a foamer here, so, like, like, am I going to be able to make that? Am, is, am I legally going to be able to make, to make that, that cast? cast? Yeah. Like, I'm not quite sure. Or if I, or if I can have like, uh, yeah, some kind of like floater out there, like, uh, yeah. uh I, while I'm waiting. So I'm, I don't know. Like, I'm honestly, I say, I'd say, um, I float ideas on the podcast all the time that are like, like, is this illegal? I don't know. Let's look into it, but so, <laughs> so, don't so worry about that. Can... But Oh, because you can use multi, you can use as many rods as you want. Exactly, but I think as soon as your is your bottom, uh, because, like the reason I'm struggling with it right now is because, um, there's like sable fishing is legal year round, so right. it doesn't have all the same restrictions as rockfish. But at the same time, I do think they count it as a ground fish. So I so think you can only use two. So hooks. I think if you're using, uh, if you're going for ground fish, you might only be able to have one rod out while going for ground fish. So. That's it's re- that's really annoying while you while you are in that in that <laughs> zone where you're like yeah I want to catch it like I want to catch a sable fish but it's gonna be slow so I I would like to have a floater out there or like a mid column bait yeah so it's it's tough like I yeah I, I want to do that I hadn't thought so. about that because that was my plan I was gonna fish swords up until the beginning of December yeah and uh, I was gonna set up a, a second rod so I have a tip rod and a buoy rod yeah. Uh, but then once December rolls around, it usually slows down depending on if it does slow down because it's been going full force here for like three weeks. Yeah. And you know, everybody's saying it's only going to get better. Sure. So when I do start sable fishing, just in those there, because it's, it's off the sides of the canyons and on the slopes in the muddy areas and where the mud and the sand kind of meets, um, 
my ideal situation would have a buoy rod out for swords while yeah. I'm, you know, reeling up and down, checking baits for sables exactly. or hake or whatever down there. Yeah. So I don't, I don't know. We'll have to look into that. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, that kind of puts a, <laughs> a wrench in my plans. <laughs> yeah, sorry. <laughs> yeah, no, that's what, that's what I've been thinking where it's like, uh, how, like I, I posted that on Bloody Dicks this time last year where I was like, well, like, are you going to run into swords in the same area as sables and like i i know that there's the the dsl not to be confused with the psl the pumpkin spice latte which is only available for a few more months but uh there's uh yeah i'm like uh i'm yeah i'm pretty much ready to start hitting sables for like the next three or four months um and uh yeah so it's but that's such an interesting area where it's like they like like you've said like they eat they'll eat the sable fish and like the, and the sable fish might be part of that DSL mm -hmm. and like, uh, yeah. So it's, um, I do want to fish the DSL too, because it seems like when there is a good thick DSL, yeah, you have to put your bait below it somehow, like a hundred to 200 feet. Yeah. Cause my first thought was put the bait there because it's going to be right there where they're, they're feeding and they're looking like right inside the DSL. Or right. So like right down there inside the DSL, drop yeah. down 600, 800 feet, wherever that's at. Right. And just have your bait hovering there because to me, something coming in and seeing what looks like a, a squid actively feeding in the DSL, they would just, you know, smash hop on it and smash it. Yeah. Well, 15, 20 minutes inside the DSL, your bait is picked apart by other squid yeah. and, you know, whatever kind of fish and organisms are in there. But I got a, uh, a giant squid jig. It's 24 ounces. And I figured I could drop that down and then put two hooks above it. Yeah. Kind of like little dropper loops. And then drop it down into the DSL and then move it up and down and see, like, whenever it see comes tight, just bring on. it up. Yeah. If it comes tight. Yeah. So that's that's also another plan. If I can't fish sables while I have a buoy rod out, I'll yeah. mess with the DSL. <laughs> Yeah, my only concern with that kind of stuff is, like, bringing a Humboldt's... Like, if you run into a Humboldt squid, like, bringing those up onto an inflatable, like, I guess they're not quite... I mean, you've had pointy things on the boat before many times, but, like, like those things are just, like... They're really trying to kill you. Yeah. <laughs> as, as with Makos and swords, I suppose, as well. But those are... I hate those things, like... Yeah, like, it would... I would probably get it on a gaff and let it ink as much as it could yeah and uh just flip it right into a cooler or a kill bag yeah and close it up not let it out because <laughs> it's not like an octopus but i feel like it's coming for me yeah no this ugh, yeah the, and they have the like the spines on their their suckers yeah exactly yeah so, if like if they grab you i mean they're not gonna they'll <laughs> well i wonder if it would uh do any damage to our boats that's what i was thinking like it may I don't know if it's quite deep enough to puncture, but maybe if it just tried hard enough, like you yeah, know, you get those arms on there doing it multiple times. Exactly, like, like they just keep they could they could really just keep rubbing and rubbing if you're if you don't like secure them or get them out of the boat or whatever. Yeah. So that's that's like my main concern with those Humboldts, where it's like ex exactly yeah. But man, those tentacles would make some good sword baits. Oh, for sure. Yeah, that's what <laughs> I was thinking. Where it's like you could like the tentacles would make good sword baits, and then you could like strip out the mantle for like for another like like 20 30 baits probably yeah. so that would be good i fed my dog when we when they first they first they came through in like 2008 or something like that through uh at least up in channel islands area and like i went on a horrible twilight trip i was like 10 years old or something like that 
and it was like like the forecast weatherman was already trying to warn us but it was worse than that and it was like six to ten foot seas with like 20 mile an hour winds like we should not have been out there on a twilight like we're going into the dark like in this mm-hmm. shit and then like going for humble squid so we're in like a thousand feet of water and like um so i got like a handoff on that trip and then like uh then like a couple weeks later we went on uh we went out again in like daytime and just like put the wood to them and those things are just horrible and i ended up feeding my dog like some some of the mantle and it just immediately threw it up like it was like totally down for it and then (laughs) but we didn't want it that that, it's just that so thick you you really have to like i don't know either cut it thin to like if you want to enjoy it yourself or to me it's like the only thing that it's good for is bait and then like you have to be like you know it the only even then it's probably only good for like deep drop baits like yeah i had some when they came through thick back in 2008 or six something like that six or eight they came in really thick um i had some and they they cut it into like a four by six inch square yeah and then did some cleaned it really good got the membrane off it and stuff and then sliced it diagonally several times and then cooked like uh fried it up real quick not breaded or anything but sure. just fried it on each side real quick and it was good it wasn't wasn't super chewy yeah um, still had that squid texture but yeah it was, it was good um i don't think i would target <laughs> humboldt to eat them yeah like unless i was really in a bad place <laughs> <laughs> needed food in the freezer you know food on the table yeah but uh yeah, that I think it's just people got obsessed with them because it was the greatest thing that year, and then a lot of people missed out on it. Yeah, um, that was also like heighted deployments, and a lot of people here in Southern California are military or former militaries, yeah. and a lot of the guys that were jumping on boats and active on the boards back then, they were excited about these these squid. But a lot of them were deployed overseas or on Mews and stuff like that, and then they missed it. So it was like they want it to come back, want yeah. it to come back. And I don't think anybody wants them to come back to, to eat them. I think it's just, you know, it's a bucket list. It's a check, uh, yeah, I, I guess. Yeah, I guess if it never happened, it, I would be curious about it. But, like, just knowing that they can really, like, decimate, you know, populations of fish if, if like, they if they migrate in and they're particularly ravenous and stuff. And they are, like, like I, I, what do they call them in Mexico? Diablo Rojo. Mm-hmm. Like, they're just, like you know ravenous murderers that just come through and just destroy everything so i'm like glad that they haven't although i heard that um people are still complaining in in this area up in huntington that like uh they say it wiped out the sand bass yeah and i don't and i don't know if it was a squid or the sport boats i think yeah i honestly think that um it was if it wasn't i mean i think it the sport boats had something to do with it i've heard that the um the mexican commercial fleet that feeds uh they i guess there might be multiple uh uh places in which they send the sand bass but i hear that they they decimate the sand bass down there for whether it be for uh for food or cat food or tuna food they'll like they'll grind it up for the tuna mm-hmm. uh in the in the uh in the, the pens in the pens so like that doesn't help that pet but, fishery is just crazy to me. Yeah. No, that's, like, that is wild. And just the the way that, like, 
um, I know at least last year, like every time that the yellow fin got into U.S. waters, it was like game over for them. So we like never saw them. Yeah, the seniors so, sit down there right there on the border. Yeah, and they wait. As you get a couple days shot at them, but they as soon as they hear yeah. about it, they're down there and they wrap them. Yeah, that's it's, too bad. I mean, that's that's really what I want at this point. I'm like. I mishandled that bluefin, I guess. I mean, you live and you learn, and I'm still eating it, but, like, just, like, I filleted it on the boat and, like, um, and then took it home and, like, did the best I could with it, but, like, I guess, you know, you really do need to keep it on ice whole or at least, like, keep it on ice, like, maybe I, I don't know, I'm trying to figure out, like, if I catch another, like, like, 100-plus pound tuna and I do keep it, which I honestly I think that I I'm actually really interested in just catching and releasing bluefin over a hundred like yeah. uh I mean I guess if if it's like a PR and it's like and it's like a really cool catch or whatever it's gonna be like really photo friendly then great but like um but handling that much tuna and like especially in this small apartment like I don't have a gigantic kill bag and I'm still I'm running in a sedan like a compact mm-hmm. sedan that like I could. Like, I can't fit a tuna. I'm already playing Tetris with all the boat shit, and I throw the boat on top, fold it up, and, like, um, yeah, like, throwing... When I caught the Thresher, I kept that, um, I took that home whole, but I took the boat, and I put the Thresher hole into the boat, into the hull, and then I threw all that, like, lifted it onto the roof of my car. So there was a Thresher just, like, hanging out on top of my car as I yeah. drove home. Did you at least put ice on it? Uh, I didn't have ice until I got home, but yeah. it it came it it came out fine. I think. I mean, it's still we're we're eating it today, yeah. and uh, uh, like I'm fine with like, you know, not immediately getting thresher or like these these fish on ice for like a few hours. I'm comfortable with, and then after that, I'm like, okay, what are we doing? But like, uh, as long as I'm I get it on ice within a couple hours, and like just being used to like the cattle boat stuff where it's like those fish are sitting in the sacks for like, you know, upwards oh, of six, 10 hours and they're still edible, but it's just like, and sometimes it's still like great, but it's like, you know, it's like, this is not, this is not how you should be at doing it. I mean, you know, it works out, I guess you get edible food, but it's, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, like, you know, catch like, uh, as it stands, it's like catch a, uh, catch a big fish. And as soon as you catch the big fish, I'm going home. That's it so um yeah that's how it is in yeah. those little inflatables yeah um, even the last time i got a like a 70 75 pounder after i bled it got it gilded on the boat and everything it weighed i think 62 pounds yeah so we called it a solid 70 maybe 75 sure. lucky uh, yeah i had the kill bag out there and i had my 72 inch kill bag stuffed in the front yeah and i had ice in there and got it back and even with my pickup truck like i slide the the boat back there and then i had to take the fish out of the kill bag put the kill bag up in the boat and then put it back in the kill bag Uh, just because the ice and everything just how heavy it was yeah Yeah, so i can't imagine being in a sedan yeah and trying to bring home any sizable fish (laughs) yeah no i'm like that's that's where i'm at right now where it's like okay like you know i yeah i just had to flay it right there and it turned out kind of okay but man like like, I just want, I really want a yellowfin just because I feel like it's going to be so much easier to handle. I feel like that bluefin meat is just built different and, like, 
just built to be more fickle the, the way you got to handle it and yeah and you so i think it's meant to be eaten within the first week or two sure because even vacuum sealing it taking care of it bleeding it icing it i ice my fish down for two to three days and yeah. then and cut them um and then doing that and then vacuum sealing it make, you know patting it dry making sure everything's good yeah it loses its color after a couple yeah. of weeks in the freezer. So you open it and it, it looks bad. It smells yeah. fine, tastes yeah. fine, but it's it's dark. Uh, it's not that bright red anymore. Yeah. Yellowfin doesn't seem to do that. Yeah, I've had yellowfin just wrapped in a paper towel inside a Ziploc in the freezer for like a month and then yeah. pull it out and it looks great. Yeah, uh, Bluefin is just different. It's a different kind of fish. So I'm happy with a 30 to 50 pound fish Yeah, because it goes quick and if I can get one like every other month in that range. Yeah. And that's good. But processing these big fish and just having that much, yeah. you know, in the freezer, like I still have, I had half of that 160. I caught, I caught one about 25, 30 and then a 75 and another smaller one. And I've just got so much tuna in my, my freezer. I don't even, if they pop up tomorrow, I'm not going to go after them that's, just because yeah. I don't want to bring it home. <laughs> that's kind of how I feel. I mean, like, I'm definitely going to, like, troll for them on the way out to the 14, like, this upcoming week just to see what happens. But uh, but at the same time, it's like, like I, as soon as I caught it, I, like, total and especially as soon as I tasted it, I totally lost interest. I was like, like, it's cool that there are big game fish out here, but, like, like I'm I'm not equipped to, like, handle this properly and i don't like it doesn't like this is my least favorite one of my least favorite fish i've ever eaten like mm -hmm. at this point and like i felt that way before I, I got a couple cuts from different people at different times and i was just never really impressed with it compared to like yellowfin like i guess i've, I've had a couple good pieces i'll admit like i had like the I'm, belly is really good the belly I the like belly i like amazing. i seared it so that like the melt the, the fat melted down a little bit it was so good yeah. like but like i hate i hate the fatty pieces raw like it's just chewy and sinewy i don't know if people are i feel like people love that and i just can't handle that shit but like yeah that was like melt in your mouth that was really good even after like three months yeah or when you're cutting it it leaves like grease on your hands yeah it's just it's amazing yeah so that like i like that stuff but yeah i'm uh i turned I'm, a lot of into pokey um, that's pretty much like the only thing i can do with it is is yeah. marinate it or like cook it whole into some kind of like teriyaki burger or i haven't tried shit. ceviche with bluefin yeah. but i've done i've done ceviche with pretty much everything else from sand bass to yellowfin yeah. and you can't go wrong with any of our local fish yeah. for ceviche yeah um no i think i tried it once and i wasn't too impressed with it it's just a little too you know flavorful or heavy or whatever so i stick to you know rockfish whitefish thresher and it works out pretty good. Yeah. So the uh, the boats, though, I think anybody that's going to listen to this is kind of interested about the boats themselves, yeah. the, the inflatables, like what got us into them and the hazards. Yeah. What, why we're out there in one yeah. of those instead of uh, what, what we have, the uh, the H-Craft 13, the solo skiff. Yeah. Um, you can pick up a 13-foot Livingston for probably like two or three grand, just the hole. Yeah. Um, I mean, these inflatables are set apart from those for obvious reasons yeah. for transporting, storing, but also, you know, the, uh, the capacity in these things. Yeah, no, that's, that is a huge thing that like, as I was looking into, um, I don't know, it was, uh, pretty much around 
COVID, I was like, uh, I knew I, I've had some like basic like scrambler ocean kayaks, like 12 footers with, they didn't even have any fishing like ability. I, I threw in some, some basic rod holders, but I, I've had them since I was like 13 or something like that. And I really never liked fishing them just because, um, I don't like how like the storage is behind you and you got to like turn around and I really don't want to stick my feet in the water. So then I end up pulling a shoulder as I'm like turning around to grab something out of the tackle bag or whatever. And then I get wet too. And I'm like seasick cause you're so low to the water and I'm already so easy to get seasick. So I was like, so I ended up taking the kayak out a couple times out of Santa Barbara to uh, like the one mile or two mile reef or something like that. And I was like, I wanted to test the limit of it and go, well, what do I want out of, I don't want this, but let's see what I like about this. How much, how far can I push it and what would I want to improve this? And so then like I did that and I got like a couple limits of whitefish and I was like, okay, this is cool. I like, I actually just as basic as it is for some people, I just really like drift fishing, like bottom fishing. Like, um, it was just really gratifying to like go out there and learn how to drift fish for myself on like on a new spot to me and like using a fish finder and everything like that. All that was so gratifying, but it was also like, I was fucking sore at the end of the day. Cause it's like, I paddled like four miles and a wind picks up and then you're going a little slower and all this stuff. And, uh, uh, so I, so then I started looking at like the Hobies and it's like the Hobies are like, you know, $1,500, $2,000 or something mm-hmm. like that. And then you're still only going, I guess you can pick up from like two miles an hour, three miles an hour, um, paddling to like going three, four, five, uh, pedaling but then it was like okay well at that price what kind of boats are what kind of boats are available yeah and, so, and they're even more um the pro anglers and i think the compass and stuff they're three thousand to forty five hundred yeah so for would, just the kayak like, yeah. then you add electronics and yeah, and exactly. then you're stuck going three miles an hour <laughs> <laughs> so i was and yeah and then the, that speed where it's like okay i personally like i'm a lot stronger in my legs um and i take some pride in that and so i was like looking kind of looking forward to a pedal kayak but then i was like well that price and then also going three miles an hour even if i don't get sore i still have limited range and what i can do for the day i can't just pick up and and go to like 10 miles away or whatever i got to stick with what's in front of me and that can improve your skills as an angler to you know work with what's in front of you and get creative and stuff but i was still like what what else is there and so then i uh i was looking at like little like 10 foot standard width inflatables and stuff like that and uh uh i was interested in that and then once i saw the k boats it was like at first i saw them and i was like that's fucking stupid and ridiculous i <laughs> like i hate the idea that somebody even invented this like i was so like offended by it <laughs> like which i suppose the people on bloody decks are as well but like i was just like this is way too narrow like this is never going to work for anything and i saw a couple different reviews and there's a guy on youtube that had like a red one i don't know if you ever saw that review where he's like a diver he went to catalina a couple times yeah he goes by socal spirit okay so Um, what is his name but yeah yeah, he does uh he does free dive competitions and spear fishing charters and stuff so he's like he's very well-rounded and like i remember watching his review and like he said like yeah you can take it to catalina but it's kind of like taking a moped to vegas yeah <laughs> i love that it's like so why would you do that it's like you can but why so i was like yeah i like that and like but at the same time it's okay throw a six horsepower on there and like 
and now you're zooming. And now I can go to Catalina. Yeah, now I could but go like, to Catalina if I wanted to. Like and like you could go ten <clears throat> you could at least go ten to fifteen. So the first idea was like get that and do what you would do with a kayak. And like I don't need to go that far. Like I can just go to that one mile, two mile reef in Santa Barbara or whatever the fuck I'm gonna do. And then I started doing it and I was like like one or two miles. I'm here like, in like five minutes, you know. <laughs> and like like the first trip I <clears throat> yeah. went was a maiden voyage with my buddy and like I was like, Okay, let's try and leave the harbor. And then we got out of the harbor and I was like, Oh, let's keep going. And I went like an hour out and I didn't use any gas and then I went an hour back and I was like, Hell yeah. Like, now what? And so like yeah. you know, within a couple months I went out like fourteen, fifteen miles into the middle of the Santa Barbara Channel, which is not advised. And, <laughs> and uh there's, there's it gets a, pretty gnarly up there it does it so um uh but it, i picked a really like nice day it was still like three to five footers but like 20 seconds mm-hmm. so like i was heading out there and like yeah i'd lose the horizon but and it's just super majestic waves where you could just see like you know just there's no mixed swell you could just see these like big waves just for like a mile straight out and like yeah. you're just crossing them and then I got the quickest limit of rockfish I've ever got. I got, like, in, like, 400 feet of water, too. I was, like, dropping down, hooking up, like, bringing up green spots. And, like, they were pretty good quality. And as I'd uh, bring them up, like, and then start dropping the line back down. And then, uh, like, you know, I kijime the, the fish, throw it in the bag. And then, like, as soon as I pick up the rod, I'm hooked up again. And so I got my limit in, like, an hour, headed back. And, like, a couple guys out there, like, this was when they first opened up the 100 Fathom uh, mm. mark. So they were, like, uh, you know, a couple guys out there were, like, hey, careful, kid. Like, you're in this fucking pool toy. And I'm, like, yeah, I know. This is, like, I, <laughs> like you know, I was kind of shaking in my boots, but I was, like, you know, I'm here, whatever. And, like, uh, you know, made it work. And I was, like, okay. Like, by the way, I still haven't told my, my dad doesn't know that I go further than, like, 10 miles out. Like, when I, like... I told him that I was going to do that and then he like flipped out and so I was like so I told him like look I'm gonna do them and I'm not gonna tell you about it I'll tell other people because it's I have to like I need to be yeah. safe about this stuff but I'm not gonna tell you when I go when I go to Anacapa when I also <laughs> it helps if you tell somebody that you're going out you have to check in with them when you come back yeah yeah, yeah. so otherwise I, you got me calling Tom and I'm like yeah you heard from this no, guy? <laughs> yeah I, that was a that was uh I felt I felt really bad about that because like Tom texted me. He's like, "Hey, are you okay?" I'm like, "Oh shit!" Like, although you didn't, did you text me first? I don't know. I guess you did. I don't. Yeah. I didn't actually okay. have your number saved. So we were talking oh, through. Okay, so Instagram. We had Instagram and I think Facebook Messenger, and I kept hitting you up on Instagram, yeah. and I didn't see any posts. Usually, you're like, "That ah, sucked out there." Like, it was good. I saw this. Yeah. And it was nothing. It was like nine o'clock at night, and I was like, "Hey, oh Tom." <laughs> I yeah. think he was supposed to be back at like six. <laughs> yeah. So that was. Um, yeah, that's not not a great way to go. But yeah, so I uh, I did end up going to Anacapa once. I did I did that to the middle of the channel, and that's good fishing over there. And then like, and then, but like the coastal fishing in out of like Ventura area fucking sucks. It's just like a mud slope or like mud flats, and like there used to be sand bass that came out to Port Wainimi back in like nineties, and it's been like just shit ever since. And so, like, moving down here, it was like, oh, this is a perfect boat for, like, Huntington area, where it's, like, like, there's a big old, there's, you know, like, call it, like, 20 square miles of flats, and so it's, like, I can really fuck around with, like, like, 30, 40 feet of water for sand bass, out to, like, 100 feet for, like, more sand bass and potential rockfish, whitefish, like, you know, like, there's a lot, and and the weather's so good here, too, Mm -hmm. and actually, I think it's, 
It might be better in Oceanside. Like, I notice you guys have less afternoon winds. It is. It's, it's, it's a lot better. So, how you were saying, you got that big swell up there in the Channel Islands yeah. area. Uh, it seems like from Dana Point down to La Jolla, it's just, it's great. There's more great days than there are bad days. But yeah. as soon as you hit, like, the 178th North 9 and stuff like that, yeah. every time I'm down there, there's a swell that just blocks out either the horizon or the land. And I'm yeah. like, wow, like it's it's a super calm day off of Oceanside. Yeah. And down here, it's just that big rolling swell. And like that kind of makes me nervous because I know it can get nasty. Sure. But also the swell goes towards shore. So yeah. you can just ride the swell back either to yeah. San Diego or Mission Bay. Yeah. Um, I mean, like the, my, my problems with like seasickness have really come with like the short period, which is, and plus also handling a small boat in short period is like, like we were out on that same on the same day in like early August or something mm-hmm. like that. That was a pretty like it was a pretty nice day turned pretty fucking gnarly for at least a tiny boat. And like um like when I when I would see ground swells, I go, Okay, great. Like I may not be able to see the horizon but I don't need to. I have GPS and I'll see it in ten seconds. And like <laughs> when yeah. I'm on top. But like uh uh but it's when when I get like yeah, like a two to one or less, like I start to get a little woozy if I stop the boat. And then like I had a day where I went out of Santa Barbara and like I went pounded into like three to five at 10 for like three hours. And I got to this rockfish spot and I started catching him, but I was like green in like yeah. 10 minutes. And that um, hurts. In, Hitting the, those swells that are so close. Oh the, yeah. The no, bow just like, hits it. I had like deckhand rods, like <laughs> my sea lines were just falling off the rods and it was just like like tatties and 12 ounce sinkers swinging everywhere it was just a mess and like i get out there and like i catch like three or four fish in like 10 minutes and i'm like this is great but i'm gonna throw up and i'm not gonna be able to fucking pilot this (laughs) boat in like another 10 minutes so then i just like i just bailed i was just like i can't like so you know that makes me still makes me wary of like jumping on other people's boats where it's like i don't want to be a day ruiner where like i'm too green to fish and i'm not going to complain i went out with tom last year and we got into some wind chop and like i was green and like uh but i was like i was chatting up with him like just like he's he's good company i'm like you know we're we're hanging out and like we're joking and stuff but i'm throwing up every like 15 (laughs) minutes and i'm like i'm cool i'm cool and (laughs) and finally the wind is picking up pretty bad and i'm like all right like like I've already thrown up like four times. Yeah. <laughs> like we've caught we like we got into a really good bite. We each caught like twenty plus fish and like now the wind's picking up. I think I'm ready to go. Like yeah, my but, girlfriend's the same way. I yeah. bring her out and we can go around, we can cruise, we can troll. And yeah. Stuff. And yeah. Like she would do good, I think, patty hopping. Yeah. But I brought her out one drifting for Mako, not advisable. Oh, and the inflatable, yeah. especially with somebody else with you. Yeah. Oh yeah. <laughs> um and then I brought her out for swords the other day. And as soon as we get drifting and, you know, the boat starts rocking, yeah. she's hanging over the side, just uh, chumming. Yeah. No, it's it it's tough and I empathize. I'm surprised that, like, you know, some... Uh, I'm surprised some people don't empathize. It's like, dude, if you knew this, it's like you wouldn't want to get on a boat. Like, it's like, I, I think a lot of people in my case would probably be like... That was another thing with the inflatable where I was like, I don't want to spend too much money... And then realize that I'm just going to get seasick every time I go out yep. and I can't even do it. So that was like, like spend at the time it was like 900 for the hull. And then I got my first outboard for like 750 and it was a six horsepower Merc. And like, uh, so that's like $1,500 for 
your stuff basically and then you're gonna end up spending five hundred a thousand dollars for everything else but like yeah. or more it keeps going it's infinite but it's yeah that's, like, that's about the price mine was a thousand it was like 9.99 to my door so it was yeah, 900 plus right. 99 dollars shipping or something yeah um got my motors 9.8 used off of offer up i think yeah for 1200 and then it needed they said it needed a new impeller yeah. Um, then I started taking it apart and needed some other things. So wow. I put like 250 bucks into it and yeah. you know, it ran great for a long time. Uh, but then getting into electronics, you're like, I could go super basic, have like the four inch screen, yeah. little transducer on the back, or we can put a 10 inch screen and you know, a, yeah. one of those big seven inch transducers that hangs off the back and I can read you know, the depth in 2000 feet of water yeah. or I can... I can tell how many spines that tuna has. <laughs> you know. <laughs> yeah. No, I I just upgraded like my my little four inch one that's like a vertical screen, like took a shit um in like June or something like that. And I thought I was gonna get the Navionics like upgrade and but the one I the one I bought on Amazon, I thought it said something about the Navionics and then it turns out it's like a different type or something like that. It's like like uh uh it has like it's a different, yeah, it's a different type. So I didn't, I wasn't able to like cross, uh, cross over from my phone Navionics app, which is killer. And then like, so I, I have a better map than what I did on the four inch. Like the four inch had like just a blank white. It's like, we know where you are, but not in reference to, mm -hmm. <laughs> so like on a map, you're just on this blank white world. So good luck. But it's a, a, a nice, definitely a nice upgrade. And that was like three, 300 bucks, I think. But yeah, you can get, you can get deep into the weeds, uh, real quick. And like, you know, I've, I've priced out, uh, the, the build I want to do with, uh, with a Livingston and it's like, yeah, the, the electronics get into like the couple thousand dollars. So fast. Yeah, so, super fast. Yeah. I got a Garmin 64 CV. It's the clear view. So it doesn't have the I side scan. Yeah. Um, the clear view just, it's got the chirp and then, um, the traditional sonar so you can turn the yeah the megahertz down super low which it only goes down to 145 yeah. instead of down into like the 50 to 80 range which i would like sure um but i can still it still shows me bottom and 1500 feet yeah. i can't tell what's down there yeah but i can see that it's a bottom and then i can see if there's a dsl and yeah. then i can see usually the thermocline and then if there's fish yeah. um it it tells you everything yeah past Past six hundred feet, you're not marking fish, but you can you can tell if there's like haze down there that there's life. Yeah. So that, that's neat. Um, and it ran me, I think six ninety nine from West Marine. Mm -hmm. It might have been on sale. Yeah. But that six inch screen, it was great at first, but you know, every month it just seems smaller and smaller. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So I was looking at a ten inch <laughs> screen, and it seems like if I want a bigger screen over seven inch. I have to get a new transducer because it has a different pin oh, in the back. Oh, of, yeah, that's right. Yeah. yeah, so instead of just being able to spend like 400 bucks on a bigger screen, I got to go spend like 1000 on a whole new unit. Yeah. So that's a bummer. But uh, so, so I guess just think, look at what you think you need and then go two inches bigger because yeah. no, I'm <laughs> it's going to end up being yeah. that way. I mean, like it, for me in June, I was like, I was, I was struggling for... I've been struggling for money all year. I think I'm, I'm getting into a better place finally, but, uh, but like at that time it's like, okay, I need a fish finder. Otherwise I'm like, like I was able, I, I had a bite for the first half of the year on at least like sand bass where like, um, 
I found where they were early in the year, and they were just there for, like, six months. And then they just disappeared at some point. And mm. so, like, I couldn't tell if they were gone or not, because I was just... I was going off a GPS for, like, a couple months. And then eventually it was like, dude, like, if you want to catch another <laughs> sand bass, you're going to need to get a fish finder. Yeah. So I had to do that. But, like... But at least that was an upgrade. But still, it's like, yeah, like, next... It... Six inches does the job right now, and I think I could do that for another... Like, if I... If I got a Livingston like next year or something i think i'd be okay with with this fish finder for another year or two i mean i lived with with that little four inch one for like three years or something like that and that was uh that was kind of hell though like the gps on that thing was just like so stupid it was just like why can't you just give me a fucking map yeah. like <laughs> like what the hell but i remember when when you hit me up for the like how i liked the saturn so mm -hmm. what was your what was your idea of when you were transitioning from Whatever you were doing well, to the Saturn. I wanted I wanted a small boat or a kayak, and I was looking at the uh, Hobie Tandem 17, the 17T mm -hmm. Pro Angler. But that thing was like seven grand, yeah. <clears throat> and they discontinued them. While I was researching them, they were discontinued. Yeah. So it was like the year prior, they stopped making them. Um, and I really wanted one of those because you can set it up for a single person yeah. and have a 17-foot... Oh my God. Polyethylene yeah. boat, whatever yeah. they're made out of. Uh, with, I think it has an 800, 900 pound capacity. Or I could set it up and, you know, have my girlfriend or my son with me and we could just go yeah. out in the bays and the inshore stuff and have a great time. Yeah. And I was looking at those and looking at them, trying to find one uh, used. And it seemed like people that had them used wanted brand new prices. Yeah. So it was really off putting. And then I didn't really have anywhere to store it. I was in an apartment with a single car garage that we, me and my roommate had stuff in anyway. So there was no way I was going to put a 17 foot kayak in there. Uh, then I started looking at inflatable boats and I saw, I saw the SoCal spirit guy. Uh, and then there's this other one, some adventures. I want to say it's like adventures with candy or something like that, but it was a couple out in Guam. And they okay. had one, and yeah. they were having a great time on it. Yeah. Um, so that, you know, piqued my interest. And also the fact that I, you could roll it up yeah. and put it in the back of, you know, one of those small uh, crossover Jeep things they have out there in Guam yeah. or essentially the trunk of a car, which yeah. I ended up doing. I had a Chevy Cruze, and you can roll it up and put it in the trunk. Mm. Can't fit anything else. Yeah. But you can put your boat in there and then put the motor in the back seat. Yeah. So I started looking into them and just reading up on them, reading up on reviews and looking at guys that use them in the rivers. There's a lot of short YouTube clips of guys using them in rivers. That's right. Yeah. With a little, uh, and they just look great. Jet <laughs> yeah. yeah. And they just look great. And I really wanted one. I wanted to try one thousand bucks. Didn't seem like that much. Yeah. I was, I was really looking at them around like November, December. Yeah. And then I got a decent tax return. Yeah. So that was just a seal and deal. Yeah. Like, I'm going to buy it. Uh, so I got it and I had seen that you had one too. And there was somebody else that was fishing one of the Northern harbors. I think they had a green one too, but it was, uh, an Asian guy and he'd bring out his two kids. Uh -huh. I saw a couple of posts and they were throwing crab traps and stuff. And uh, like, it looked, it just looked like super up, versatile up in like San Francisco, like Bay area. Bay area yeah. But just South of there, like Morro Bay or something. I think I know. I th I'm, I think I remember watching a set of video. Of yeah. Theirs, yeah. Um, 
so it just looks super versatile and people were getting into them. So I wanted, I wanted to jump on that train, yeah. you know, and see what it was about. And my initial plan was to just stay in shore in the bays and yeah. have something to get on the water because if I'm not on the water, I'm going insane. Yeah. I, especially when you live 10 minutes from the water. Yeah. It just, you see it and you're like, I'm not out there and yeah. it eats at you. Uh, so I got it and then I picked up the motor and then the motor needed some work and I dropped it off at a shop in Temecula and they absolutely destroyed my motor. They took it apart. Apparently the guy who took it apart quit. So it sat there in pieces. I went and picked it up in pieces like six months later after calling and calling. And, uh, so I bring this thing home in pieces and this was the following December. Yeah. I spent all of December of 2021 into January ordering parts yeah. and putting this thing back together and just troubleshooting stuff and, uh, took it out, I think end of January or February. Yeah. And our first run, uh, me and my girlfriend hopped in it. And did a speed run, got up to like 19 miles an hour out yeah. there on the flat, the uh, the flat water outside of Oceanside. And then I started figuring out what kind of mileage I'd get. So I went from, I put a six gallon can in it and I went out to Carlsbad Canyon and back. Yeah. And then I measured that and I was like, I only use like a gallon and a half. It's like, whoa, yeah. that's, an, that's an insane. Yeah. Uh, topped it off, and I was like, I'm going to run down to La Jolla. And La Jolla was like 22 miles, or I think it's 22 miles. Might be 21. But uh, went down to La Jolla, and then landed, and went and grabbed lunch real quick from one of the shops, then launched through the surf, and then drove back up to Oceanside, and I had only used like three and a half, maybe four gallons. There was a lot of fuel left. Yeah. And I was like, I can go anywhere in this. Yeah. Literally, I can... I don't have to drive down to La Jolla to launch. I can launch an hour yeah. early from Oceanside and to cruise down, yeah. you know, and fish from Del Mar to La Jolla. And it just opens up all that space. And then I was like, I have a thousand pound capacity. Yeah. I can put, I can put kill bags on this. I can put batteries. I can bring six rods. I can bring my son. I can bring a friend. Bringing a friend isn't that fun. It sounds <laughs> like it's fun. But when you're in a small boat like that and, you know, you're crossing legs with each other, yeah. <laughs> bring a girlfriend. If, you, uh, if you're newly dating a chick and you really want to get to know her, get one of these boats. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. No, that's uh, very true. Yeah. I brought, uh, I brought a few friends on and uh, I've star uh, I started by uh, putting them, so I have like a, like a long milk crate. It's probably like 13 by 17 and then I put PVC um on the outside edges of it uh, mm -hmm. for rod holders and so that uh they sit flush even though the, the milk crate is 13 inches wide they make it 17 inches wide which is the exact width between the pontoons and then it pushes up against so, the yeah, pontoons it, uh, and then like it was like it might slip a little bit but it would catch uh against the front um uh in in inflation what do you call those oh the valves the valves yeah um uh, so it would catch behind those, but then eventually, I don't know, it started slipping behind that recently. So now I just put like one of the aluminum benches in front of it and that keeps it in place. But I was like putting people up on the bow for a while. And then, uh, although it's a little bit tight up there, as you know, and like, uh, I just always felt bad for them. Like, because I felt like, like up there, like, it seems like they're bouncing a little bit more, getting a little bit more wet. And then finally, like I tried putting, uh, my girlfriend, I was, 
uh, I'd put with me and I'd, I'd keep the milk crate up front. And, but if I was putting people on the bow, I'd bring the milk crate like closer to me. So I had like no room for myself if I brought uh, a friend, like I'd have like a tackle box Mm -hmm. and like a back, like a food backpack at my feet. And then I'd have like, you know, all this other shit and my electronics. It was like, I'm like saying crisscross, like it was just ridiculous. And so I finally, the last time I brought a friend out, um, is a uh, uh my friend Dalton and like I kept him back with me and I just like brought a little less tackle or no I just put everything up front and we had plenty of leg room between each other uh it was actually a lot more comfortable and we get a lot better speed uh since we're we're both about like behind or midship and so like when people are on the bow it's really like just it pushes the bow down it pushes yeah. the bow down and like and then the boat flexes which is kind of like funny yeah. like the first couple times you see it you're like oh but uh <laughs> it's uh but yeah once like i could only do like 10 miles an hour with them up front and then if i put them midship i can get like 12 13 so i'm like you know that's like a good 20 30 percent 30 like speed increase that i'll take that at that speed and the other thing was uh going like you're going just a little bit faster than a cattle boat which is like really gratifying when <laughs> I'm like driving yeah. next to a cattle boat and I'm like, I'm not spending as much as you and like, I'm going just a little bit faster and like, like, I mean, at the end of the day, I've, I have like the, the, it's just my own personal setup where I'm in this little apartment. I don't have a garage, which really sucks for like, I can't do, I'm still trying to figure out how to do outboard repairs. I found a, a local guy that's very reasonable, but like, um, it would be so much nicer to just be able to pull up, fill, uh, fill a trash can with some water and just get to work like right here. But I, and fuck things up for myself, but instead, uh, uh, I can't do that. But, um, so I have a storage unit, which is 150 bucks a month. And so like, that is really the biggest price right now where it's like out of that, that's like, what is that? Like 1300 14, 15, 1500 a year or something like that. But like, I got out like 40, 50 times this year or I will. And so that's like, if I'm going 40, 50 times on a cattle boat, then I, then I'm saving money compared like that. I'm using what, $5 in gas or something like that. Every time I go out, maybe 10, like, yeah. When I went out, one of the first long trips I did, uh, was a couple of years ago, like my first attempt at bluefin, and uh, I went out of Huntington, and then I like went like straight out, got to the the, the slope, and then followed the slope, all, almost all the way to Dana Point, and and then drove straight back. And that was like fifty miles, and I burned like two gallon two, two gallons in gas. And I yeah. was like, the yeah. sixes get really good gas mileage. It's ridiculous. It's really absurd. And like, uh, yeah. So like, I mean, just that makes me not want to move up because it's like damn dude like you know if i get like a i mean if i get a livingston like with twin 30s i can still get like uh what is it like one and a half miles or one and a half gallons per hour for two uh tohatsus yeah and like um and then if i do twin 50s you're doing about 3.2 gallons per hour which is like still not much at all but if you're like in a budget like i am then it's like well that's like doubling tripling my gas but it's still like half or like you know half or less of what other people are spending so it's like i've i've just gotten so like like deep in research of like how fuel efficient can i be with my future boats so i'm pretty set on my next boat being a livingston 155 
with twin fifties. And like, I could, I would be happy with that probably for the rest of my life. And like, I could do everything I wanted. I'm already going out on like cupcake days. So it's like, like, Oh no. Like I, you know, even in a bigger boat, I don't want to go out and like, you know, four foot it seven seconds yeah. or whatever. It's like, fuck that. Like, uh, so yeah, I think, I think that would be it. But like, but going in a Livingston 14 where it's like I could still get like 15 miles of the gallon or something like that, something stupid. It's like that's still pretty pretty damn nice. It's like you're not boating like as far as your wallet's concerned. And once you get like you're still going to be doing twin outboard repairs and maintenance. But other than that, like it's a lot better than a lot of other options. So, yeah, the the economy of this is just ridiculous. Yeah, so. I was averaging about 15 miles per gallon uh, with a 9.8. Yeah. And then stepping up to the little bit bigger boat, it's just, that Briz 470, it's a 15.4. They yeah. don't go by the 470 mark, but uh, it's a little bit wider. Yeah. And I put a 30 horsepower on there. Right. And I'm in about the 10 miles per gallon range. Yeah. And I feel that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I feel that because I, instead of going through, you know, two to three gallons, Going all over the SoCal bite, right? I'm going through six to eight gallons. Yeah, you know, and it doesn't it really hurt my wallet that much, but having to top off every time. Oh yeah. So when I would go sword fishing or you know local tuna and stuff, I had had that six gallon can. It would last me three trips. Yeah. I have a twelve gallon can, and I'm afraid to not top it off because yeah. it, even though it looks like it's only halfway full. Yeah. And then I'll only put like four and a half gallons in it which is weird to me because yeah. when I filled it up, it was like 12 and a half. Yeah. And then it looks like it's halfway full and I only put four and a half gallons in it. So, uh, yeah, I just, I'm not comfortable not topping it off. So I don't have any free days yeah. going fishing. Yeah. Um, but yeah, still excellent, excellent economy because some of these other boats, my buddy has a 25 footer that we took out not too long ago and we were getting 1.8 to uh, two. The cat? No, no, the cat was doing good. It was getting about yeah. 4.7. Um, I forget what he has. It almost looks like a sea swirl, but it's... I forget the name of it, but it's uh, it's either a Glacier Bay or a... Fuck. World Cat? World Cat. Yeah, so uh, my buddy Dave, he owns Deckhand Sports. He has the World Cat. Oh, okay, gotcha. Yeah. And then uh, one well, of my other buddies, Daniel, we took out his, and his was a, I think his was a Glacier Bay. Yeah. And his was about 23 foot. Yeah. Um, both excellent rides. Those yeah. catamarans are great. Yeah. They're no, that's, I'm not doing anything else. I never do a long smooth. haul. So. And the, uh, the inflatables almost act like a cat. Yeah. That's. Because they, uh, they the ride on the pontoons. Then yeah. you have, mine has an inflatable keel now. Yeah. Um, but yeah, they, they ride up on those those pontoons on the side so it's almost like a cat yeah and i can stand on one side like yeah. literally stand on it being 290 to 300 pounds and it doesn't list at all like yeah. it's not raising out of the water on the other side huh. which is you know just a super stable platform yeah and with that 30 horsepower motor i put a a four blade true 10 inch by 14 pitch <clears throat> prop on there yeah or no, I'm sorry, it's a 13 pitch, but it's a true 10 inch and just zero time whole shot. Like once I'm on a throttle, it's planing and I can go through, I've been out in some rough weather, not as bad as I have in the Kubo just cause I was out there when it got nasty. Yeah. Um, 
But I mean, just nothing has felt uncomfortable in that boat. Yeah. And it's. So are you going to amazing. are you going the same distance as you were, or uh, are you going farther now that you can go a little bit like faster and maybe a little bit cushier? Uh, I haven't gone as far out because I've realized I just don't have to. I was yeah. doing. I did several runs out to the two hundred nine. I did one to the one eighty one. Yeah. Um, went to the 312 a few times, but that was also when we had a really good summer of mahi and tuna. Right. They so were, I was, yeah, they were over there. So it's like, so I would go from Oceanside and start trolling as soon as I hit the continental shelf to start trolling yeah. and hit the 312 and then go over to a place called Rollo bank. Sure. It's just South of there, hit that and then come back. And it was kind of like a little triangle. Um, but I haven't had the need, but I've also made further runs South. So I'll launch out of Oceanside and then cruise at 20 miles an hour. Yeah down to the 178 and do some drops for swordfish. Yeah. And uh, one day the swell picked up and I was trying to go north and I couldn't go north more than eight miles an hour. Yeah. So I called my girlfriend and I was like, hey, would you mind driving down with the trailer to Mission Bay? Yeah. <laughs> and I was like, it's either that or I'm going to be home in three hours. Yeah. And, uh, you know, she was super supportive. She was like, yeah, I'll drive down there. Yeah. So it, it took me 35 minutes to get in. When I got there, she was pulling up. You've you've had some good support on those on those kinds of days. Yeah. Where like like that that day when we went out and it was like nice to start and then there was like a crazy southeast wind that picked everything up from like, was like I I my neutral of like glass is just like calling it two feet at ten and like it was probably about that and then it turned into like four foot at four or something. Yeah. And like like I was like fucking over it and I was around like San Anofer, and I was like already getting wet and then you texted me you're like i'm going to the 14 i was like what the fuck yeah i was riding (laughs) i was riding that swell to the 14 because i had i had my kite set up i had my avid 80 with me and there was big fish around yeah like there not a lot of people were on them but they were popping up um luckily not a lot of people were on but also unlucky because you can't like spot where they're at from a distance that's true yeah uh Got up to the 14 and stopped and looked for meter marks, any kind of bait. Because there was birds. There was a lot of bird activity. Yeah. And uh, I saw a commotion south of me, just off of the 14. And I turned to go to it. Yeah. And I was going to cruise down there just like I had been, but I was hitting that swell. And I couldn't make any any gains. And I was like, what do I do? Because I got to go 20-something miles back to yeah, Oceanside. Yeah, like straight into it. Um, so I, I turned towards Dana point and I was able to ride the troughs and get in between the swell and head towards Dana point. I was more towards salt Creek, Yeah. but I was making way better, yeah. better headway, probably going like eight, 10 miles an hour rather than like okay. two slamming into the, the oncoming waves. Yeah. And, uh, I hit up my buddy Dale that I was telling you about earlier. Right. <laughs> and I was like, Hey, can you come save me? <laughs> And he was like, what's wrong? Like, are you sinking? And I was like, no, I'm, I'm just stuck up here. Like, I got to go into Dana Point. I don't know if it's going to get any better. Um, you know, you drive your truck up, yeah. buy you gas and lunch. Nice. And he drove up and we rolled the boat up in the back of the truck. And yeah. he brought me home and wouldn't let me buy him gas or lunch. Nice. So Good that was him. super nice. Yeah. No, I was like, uh, I had I had that swell on my tail and I was just like, like, you know, I've only taken a handful of swells, uh, over my bow before. And I took one like every 30 seconds, like 
on the way home. Thankfully, it was like seventy five degree water, so it was like oddly yeah. refreshing and like, like. But it was just getting so bad that like, uh, like I was, yeah, dude, it was it was gnarly. That was that was a that was a pretty gnarly day. But uh, uh, came out came out smarter for it, I suppose. Now I now I respect that southeast wind a lot. I don't. Uh, I see that and I don't fuck with it. So yeah. <laughs> But yeah, so well, I think we uh we covered a lot here today. Yeah, I think we almost did two hours. Yeah, that clock is good. Yeah, about that. Seems like you just go on forever though. Yeah, we could.